Turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5. We continue in this journey as we've been looking at 1 Timothy, God's playbook for us, the church. How is the church supposed to live, act, function? And so God wrote this through, the, through Paul, gave him the words to put down. Paul sends this letter to Timothy. It says, Timothy, here's how the church is supposed to function. And today we get into this topic of family. You know, the church is called many things in Scripture. You see references in Scripture for the church to be called a flock. The church is called a vine. The church is called a bride. The church is called a temple. It's called an assembly. It's called a kingdom. It's called a priesthood. It's called a holy nation. Several different names for the church. You're talking about the church. I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about people who are believers in Jesus Christ because we make up the church. But the greatest metaphor of all, I think, is when the terminology is family. That word family that is directed towards what the church is and what the church is supposed to be. Because the church is first and foremost is a family. The church is not a business, although we have to operate with some business principles. The, the church is not an army, although we are in a battle against Satan. We're not an army. The, the church is a family. And that's the best picture that Scripture gives us of how the church is supposed to behave and how the church is supposed to act and what the church is supposed to do. The metaphor of a family reminds us that then within that, there is a key ingredient. It's called relationships. And with any family relationship, then there is also responsibilities to one another because of those relationships. And you think about a mom and dad, they're in a relationship, but there's also responsibilities one to another. A child and a parent, they're in relationship, but there's also a responsibility one to another to make a family function. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. He's talking about the church. He says, we do good to all people, to the believers, that's the church. So how are we supposed to do good, especially those who are part of God's church or they're believers? Paul gets very practical in our text today as we first talk about the relationships in the family. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. The underlying factor in all dealings of the church should be we're, we're family, and that's how we should want to treat each other. Now, the challenge with that is that sometimes we've been raised in families, or our current family we're in is not a healthy family. You say, I'm not sure about this family idea because my dad was absent or my mom was gone. I don't know about this family because there was abuse in my, in my life. Or I don't know about this family because the family I was raised in, it fought and argued and yelled and screamed. And so when you think of a family, you're like, that's awful. I don't even want to think about that because that's upbringing. But let me tell you, when we get this right and we do this the way the Lord calls us to do this and actually behave like a healthy family is supposed to be, then the church becomes a very beautiful thing, and you go, okay, I can embrace that kind of family. And it's a picture that is then given to you that says, oh, that's the kind of family I want to strive towards and I want to create in my home. And so I, I, I apologize, and I'm sorry if you come from a background where your family life was not a great family life, but I want to encourage you to look at the Scriptures, open heart and mind, go, if I could do that, if that could be my family, boy, I would absolutely love it, because that's what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be a model of what a good family is. We're not a corporation. 
although we have to incorporate and follow legal laws and all that kind of stuff, we're, we're not a club. Some people think of oh, the church as this club, this institution, get to hang out. That's not what we are. Um, we're not even a movement. I've seen some writings recently where people are like, oh, the movement of the church. I understand what they're saying is that, that we, there's a move of God in us and that God's church is, is, is uh, taking ground, so to speak, and saying, hey, we're going to win the battle against Satan. But we're not even a movement. The church is a family. That's what Paul gets into right here. And Paul's telling Timothy, here's how we're supposed to relate to different members of the church family. Because as we look across here, we see different ages, we see different races, we see, we see different uh, experiences of life, we see different um, lengths of how long we've been in Christ. Um, and so he says, here's how you're supposed to treat one another. He says, older men, treat them like, them like, you're, like they're your father. Now, for me, when I grown up, I had a good relationship with my dad. I'm thankful for that good relationship. There was a respect factor with my dad. I can remember one time that my dad actually got the belt out and used it on my hiney one time in my life. And I think that's all it was because there was such a respect factor that if my dad spoke, it was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I don't remember my dad yelling and screaming and freaking out or nothing like that, but he had his rules and his guidelines, how he wanted to do things. But there was such a respect factor as my father, and that's what this is talking about. It says older men. What he's talking about is respect the older men of our congregation. Have a high regard for who they are. Now, the challenge is, is what's an older man? For, for me, I'm starting to feel like I'm, I'm moving in that category. For some of you, you would say, you're still a baby. Older man is someone who's older than you. So if they're older than you, then they're considered an older man, and you should have respect for that person who is part of the family. He says, younger men, treat them like they're like your brothers. So in other words, I don't know about you, but in my relationship with my brother, there was a lot of kidding and joking going on when I was growing up. And there was a respect, but there's a love for, for your brother that, that we're, we're in this game of life together. And so there's a respect factor, but there's also a love that is, is we're, we're, we're equals with one another, but we deeply care about one another. He says, older women, treat them like your own mother. Now, I would not dare guess, guess that age either. Uh-uh. No way we go down that road. But it says, for older women, treat them like they are your own mother. Now, some of you say, I am not going to do that. Brian, you don't understand. My mom was this way. My dad was that way. You know, you have an opportunity to extend the grace of God. And if you not only apply this to the church, but you apply it to your own relationships, even if you have a parent that was unloving, unkind, abusive, whatever it is, you say, I'm going to do that to my parents, but also do that within the church, you're saying. So you extend older women, you treat them like your mother. What does your mom need? Your mom needs love. Your mom needs grace. Your mom needs support. Your mom needs kindness. Your mom needs an encouraging word and a listening word. Your mom needs you to love them. He says that's how you should treat the older ladies in the church. Younger women, he says, treat them, them like, you're, like they're your sister. That's an interesting one if you have a sister. I had a sister. I have a sister. She's a couple years older than I am. She's 50 years old. And there were times that my sister and I were about ready to kill each other. Some of you all remember those days. If you have siblings in your house, there were times when we really went after each other. There were times when I, I just wanted to lay into her. At the same time, if anybody messed with my sister, they'd be messing with the Bolton brothers because we were going to protect our sister. To this day, there are times when she drives me absolutely crazy. I hope she doesn't watch this message. <clears throat> but to this day... I'd still protect my sister. I'd still help out my sister. I'd still go to the mat for my sister. And he says, you treat younger women 
like they're your sister. You treat them with kindness. You would protect them. You would guard them. You would care for them as your sister. In all your dealings, remember this. The church is a family. We do things together like generosity feeds or a fall festival. Or we get into Bible studies together. We do projects around here. But sometimes in some churches, there can become tensions in, as you work on ministries together. As you try to do things together. And Timothy is being reminded by Paul. Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, this church that you are developing, this young congregation, remind them they are a family and they are blood relatives because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on a cross. His blood was shed on a cross for you and me. And if you believe in that, then we are adopted into God's family and it's because of the blood of Jesus. Now, the primary application, obviously, of this text is Paul's writing to Timothy, this young pastor, and he's telling him how to relate to people at the church in Ephesus. But this also serves as good advice for us as we deal with one another. As we deal with each other, we treat the older men with respect like they're our father. We treat younger men like they're our brothers. We treat the older women like they're our mother. We treat the younger women like they're our sisters. And we behave like that, then we start developing a good, healthy church family. Sometimes, sometimes I think we extend grace and kindness to total strangers more than we do in our own family. You know what I'm talking about? Think about how you answer the telephone. The phone rings and you see that's your child or that's your wife. Yeah, what do you want? Have we all done that before? I'd say we've probably been guilty. Or the phone rings and you see it's a friend or it's a salesperson. Hello, this is Brian Bolton. How can I help you today? And you're ready to have a good conversation. And it's a sales relationship. Or someone in the church, you see their name, you're like, oh, nope, silence, don't want to talk to them. We've all been guilty of doing that. You sit and listen to someone answer the phone, and you're like, yeah, what do you need? Like, oh, you're talking to your family, aren't you? That's not how we're supposed to treat each other. That's not how we should treat the family. And sometimes we see the family as a big interruption just thinking about the phone. That's not how the family's supposed to be. We need to extend grace that is greater and that is kind to one another. Notice verse 2, Paul talks about women. He adds, with absolute purity. Treat these younger women like your own sisters with absolute purity. Now, you must ask yourself, why is he telling them that? Why would he write this letter and say you've got to treat each other with purity? probably because there was some stuff going on in the church where impurity was taking place. There were some men inside the church where they're checking out the women and they're like, hey, who can I hook up with? Who can I get off on the side with? Who can I go out with tonight? And they were using the church as their dating scene. And he's like, no, 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 no. You're in the church. You're in the family of God. And he's making a comparison. Just like your own earthly sister, you would never think, how am I going to hook up with my own earthly sister? He says, you don't treat women like that in the church. You treat them with love, with respect, like your own sister, with purity. He says, being above reproach. He's telling Timothy, as a single man, you be above reproach, but then also model that to the church. And men in the church should follow Timothy's example. There ought to be a different standard in the church than there is in the world. And if we operate as a family, then we will live underneath that own standard. So he begins the text, and he talks about relationship from older men to younger men, older women to younger women. And then Paul moves on and talks about some responsibilities in a family. Now, quite honestly, this next section of our text, we've got to read it all as a whole to get the, get the whole thing of it. But when I was studying, I was like, man, do we really need to deal with this within center point? We have a few, as this pastor is going to talk about widows, but it's good for us to deal with things actually before we actually hit that point. 
but also how do we deal with these relationships within our own families. So listen closely. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to, to pray and ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than the unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house, and not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to do. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Now, you wrestle with that text. It's good to look at a text and go, how does that apply to us today in our church, and how does it apply to me within my own life, within my own, my own immediate family relationship? And Paul deals with a very specific group of people, widows. And you must ask the question again. You've got to ask questions of the text. Why would he be writing to the church about widows? Because there's probably a bunch of them in a church. There's several of them, and they're realizing these widows need to be managed or cared for in the right way because some were not treating the church right, and some were. And so a widow is defined by a lady whose husband has died, who has passed away. And he says, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need because God cares about the widows. And if God cares about the widows, then what? We should care about them as well. Matter of fact, in the book of James, it says religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. He says, you take care of those who do not have families, the orphans. He says, you take care of the widows, the ladies who have lost their husbands. And we have a responsibility to care for the widows in the church. But he gives us very specific guidelines for us to follow. Give proper recognition to the widows who are really in need. Now, the church is always approached by people who say they have needs. And i got to tell you up front, no church can meet every need. It's virtually impossible. The church has a responsibility of making sure that those needs are legitimate, though. Some needs are not really needs at all. Some people make it their work not to work. They're like, I'm going to just beg and borrow off of everybody that I can. They just go from church to church asking for help. There's about 300,000 people in this city, and there's uh, about 3,000 churches in this city. And, And you think about that, people can jump from church to church to church to church for a long time. For a long time, asking for help, asking for help. And we get a lot of calls like that. Some needs are, are legitimate needs, but some needs are merely a result of poor financial stewardship. 
And within the church, sometimes people will come and say, I need some help. And we have to try to figure out as leaders, we try to size that up. Is it because they're managing poor, their money poorly? Is it because life has just come out then like crazy? Or, or they go out and overextend themselves? And so if someone from the church comes, usually we'll help somebody one time. They come again, we'll say, okay, now you need to meet with some financial guidance, get a financial coach, and let them walk through with you. How are you spending your money, and why do you keep getting in this pit? Why do you keep getting in this struggle? Some people, you ever notice, and you've seen it here in Lexington, people stand on the side of the road holding a sign that says, we'll work for food. I don't, I don't know if you do this, but sometimes I'll drive by that, and I'll think, well, then go get a job. If you'll work for food, go, go find one. And, and I don't say that to be uh, lack of compassion, but a lot of people will do that because they know they can get a lot more donations than actually going and, and actually working. And, and I understand that some people will do that because of mental health issues, but that's not always the case. Sometimes it's easier to take a handout than it is to go get a job. Second Thessalonians says, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Now some people say, man, that's awful harsh, but that's right from God. He's, he's telling us, listen, you go to work and you eat. And if, you're, if you get so hungry... That you don't have food, hopefully the, the, the goal would be it drives you to go work. It drives you to go earn an income. And so we have to make sure that needs are genuine. And that's one of the things the leaders in this church try to do with all the offerings that we receive. We use part of that to help people, but we also try to use wisdom and go, we can't just go throwing money around just to anybody and everybody who asked for it. And so you try to size it up wisely. So how do you determine whether or not a needs of a widow are legitimate? How do you do that? Well, Paul tells us. He tells us right here, he says, listen, there's two kinds of widows. One is there's widows who have family. And Christianity begins at home. If you're not a Christian at home, I wonder sometimes, how can you possibly be a Christian anywhere? If a widow has a family, then they should be the first one to look to meet her needs. They should be caring after that person. So you stop and think for a moment. Do you have a grandma who's a widow? Do you have a great-grandma? Do you have a, 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 a mom do you, you have a sister? Do you have any of those that fall in your life and, and they're widows? Then, according to the Bible, it's your job to step up and go, how do I help them? Now, it may not always be a financial need. It's sad, though, how some children neglect their parents. Children and grandchildren, we should see it as our job to repay our parents and our grandparents for the life they've lived. That's how we see it as our role and, and our job. But you go to any nursing home within this city. You go across the street over here to Magnolia Springs, and you talk to the leaders that are running that, and one of the hardest things they deal with are people who put their, their loved ones into a home, a nursing home or assisted living, and they say, we never really see them again until it's time for the funeral. I tell you from experience making visits to widows and widowers, because I think this, a lot of this text applies to men who are widowers. You have a loved one in a home, a nursing home, an assisted living, living at home but getting assistance. The biggest thing they struggle with typically is usually not a financial struggle. It's loneliness. They've been left at some home or in their home and their friends have passed away through the years and their relationships have changed and they deal with extreme loneliness. We can show the love of Christ by going and reaching out and caring for those people, especially those within our family. I've said it before, church. A couple weeks ago, someone said, I want to cut that out of your sermon. I've got to use that. Our moms and dads need us to pick up the phone and call them. You have a widow in your life. You have, you have a widower in your life. You need to go visit them. 
You need to go stop and see them. You say, oh, I don't have time. Yes, you do. It's all about priorities. It's all about priorities. Whenever you say, I don't have time, what you're saying is, I'm not making that person a priority in my life. We've got to make the time for those, and that's what the Scripture is calling us to do. Paul is not saying the church doesn't help widows who have a family. He's just saying this family ought to be the first ones. We've got to be the first ones. If you don't take care of your family, in verse 8, he says you're worse than what? A non-believer. In other words, let's interpret that a little bit further. If you don't take care of your family, then he's questioning, do you really believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Ouch. But that's what the text is saying. If you have family who are living a life of being a widow or even a widower and you're not taking care of them, then are you really a believer in Jesus Christ? He questions your faith because the family needs to be the first one to take care of the widow. And then the second group of widows is he says widows who have no family. He addresses that in verse 3, verse 5, verse 16. He refers to it three times. He said these widows need specific care from the church family so that she's not left all alone. She has no family but her church. And so we need to be aware and care for that person. Paul already divides them into these two categories of widows who have no family and then widows who, who have family. And he divides them up in these two categories, and he said older widows in verse 5 and 6, those who live for God versus those who live for the pleasure. And there's a, quite a contrast here. He's talking about the godly widow and the godless widow. And he's saying, you better live for God now. So he's kind of speaking to younger women as well. He's saying, you better live for God now, or someday you may live long enough, and your older years may be miserable because there's nobody around. In verse 9 and 10, the church evidently had a list of widows who were to be helped. I mean, they actually had a list where they kept track of, okay, these ladies meet the criteria as widows. And what's the criteria that Paul puts together? You start to see that. And he says their past is so important to their present and to their future. You don't have someone who lived their life, their entire life, living not for God and living for the devil, and then one day go, I'm a widow, church, take care of me. He's addressing what the church is supposed to do for those who've walked a long journey of walking in Christ. He says there's several qualifications. He says, must be at least 60 years of age. I'm like, thank you, Paul. You gave us a very specific, right? Someone who is older. He says, must have been faithful to her husband. He's looking for you to say, look, we're not looking for the lady who's been jumping around from man to man. Someone who stayed faithful in marriage must have been known for good, good deeds. He lists them, bringing up their children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, devotion to all kinds of good deeds. He says, you see a faithful lady who's now a widow, it's your chance now to turn around and love that woman to death while she's in her later years. Church, we can't miss that. We can't miss that. We've got to be prepared for that. These verses show the impact of how a widow who has lived for God, well known for her good deeds, and now that should come back around to her to say, my church loves me to death. It's a good question for us to ask. How are we doing with those who are our widows? It's a discussion for us to be having around here as this church is now changing because it used to be we had all these younger families with young kids, and now we're becoming more and more, much more diverse in our ages and are married or not married. And so we need to be wrestling with this text here at center point and then he says the younger widows he actually addressed the younger widows, and basically he's telling them encourage them to get married again 
Encourage them that they're not jumping around, chasing after sensual desires. Encourage them that they're not running around being gossipers. If they're young and they have the energy, go ahead and get married again. Go ahead and have kids again. I think it's a good encouragement because sometimes there's young uh, ladies who have become widows and they're like, I can never get married again. I can never do that again. There's no way I'd be dishonoring my past husband. Paul's telling us right here, you're not dishonoring them. You're not dishonoring the husband that you lost of your youth. You can still love again is what he's saying. He's actually encouraging you, go and do that. Go ahead. It's good for you spiritually and it's good for your life. And he says, do that. The church is a family with special relationships and special responsibilities. Respect the older man. Care for the brother who is like your similar age. Care for the older women. Treat the younger women like your sisters. And for those who are now widows, and I, and I like to put in their widows, because I believe the text applies to that. Those who have lost their spouse and are up in years and they've served Jesus well, you make sure you love them. See, what happens is when we do this church and we do it in a healthy way, then not only does that encourage the church body, the world starts to see that. Because you'll speak up and you'll say, man, my church is so good to me. My church cares for me. My church takes care of me. And when that is a part of your testimony, you're saying that happens because who Jesus is in you. So church, the call of the gospel today is this, is that we treat each other as a family. A loving, Christ-centered family. Let's pursue that together.